0: God forgive us as we have feared others and in so doing have contaminated our hearts. Forgive us as we have hoarded our resources and in so doing have abandoned our witness. Forgive us as we have desired control and in so doing have not loved our neighbor. Comfort the afflicted among us In their loneliness, provide care. In their sickness, provide health. In their weariness, provide rest. We grieve the contagious fear that we consume and spread. Soothe our anxious minds as we read viral headlines and protect those who have been victims of racism and fear-mongering because of our dread of the unknown. We thank you for the healthcare workers who care for the sick and tend to the bodies and souls with great compassion and commitment. Give them stamina, give them wisdom, give them grace. We pray for those who lack health care or safe places to rest their heads. We pray for the vulnerable, the sick, the disabled, the elderly, the uninsured for the kingdom is theirs. We pray for the mother working paycheck to paycheck who worries about her children and the job she can't afford to take time off from for she reflects your image. We pray for the chronically ill fighting invisible battles hour by hour, day by day, nourish their bodies, protect their souls for they are never out of your sight. We lament our roles in an empire that values profit over human life and takes advantage of our anxious spirits. We acknowledge that we are not immune to the human condition and we repent from the ways that we have benefited from dehumanizing systems and structures. We ask for your holy guidance as we journey into the unknown, ignite in us a spirit of generosity, of hope and mercy, of grace and truth, of gentleness and self-control. Cleanse our spirits, comfort our minds, care for our bodies, and make us new. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who healed the sick and sat with the poor. Amen.
1: Thanks, Bob. Um, At this time, we will be taking communion together. So if you don't have um, elements, feel free to grab them. Um, This is the Sunday before Epiphany. um, And what Epiphany is (laughs) for many of us uh, who didn't grow up in liturgical traditional churches um, is traditionally the um, arrival of the wise men um, at the um, nativity. Um, to see the birth of um, Jesus. So the tradition holds that it took 12 days. um, So the 12 days of Christmas, that whole song, is about the 12 days of Christmas between Christmas morning and Epiphany um, when the wise men arrive. So uh, it's, it's a time that marks a shift in the church calendar Um, and it's Wednesday. It's going to be Wednesday, this upcoming Wednesday. So this is the Sunday before, and so I figured I'd read a little um, reading on Epiphany by Reverend M. Barclay. Um, So hear these words, and then we will partake in communion together. Searching for a glimpse of change, seeking liberation from colonizing forces, the Magi journeyed crossing foreign lands and borders with only a star as their guide. The same glimmer of hope that guided their way calls to us today. Through night skies and morning dew, through community and in silent meditation, through songs, ancient and new, through art and bodies and creation, through collectives of people who dare to break the rules in the direction of a better world. It calls us to come and share our resources equitably, to come and delight in love and fleshed, to come and join in the spirit of deliverance, birthed far from the centers of power. At the birth site of God, the way is revealed. Amen. Now invite you to take the bread and the wine or whatever you have before you um, in your own time. Amen.
0: Thanks, Max. Um, This morning, we just have one announcement for you today. And that is about book club that's meeting on Wednesday. So in place of the gathering, which normally meets on Wednesdays at 730, we'll be meeting a little bit earlier this week uh, in its place to read uh, or talk about Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking. Um this is a fantastic book and it's actually really short uh and um and available uh in audiobook form as well um if you're interested and want to take a look at part of it it uh, really kind of encapsulates i think what <clears throat> many of our experiences of 2020 um have been um And so I hope that you'll join us for that. You don't have to have read the book at all. If you're interested in the conversation, we'd love to have you join us um, as always. Um, Oh yeah. And Desiree is saying there's a play version too. Yeah. Um, She put together a a one woman show uh, based on this uh, book. And that's fantastic as well. It kind of covers all of the same things, um, follows the very same narrative and story. It's a bit shorter, of course, because it's, um, written as a play and you can actually buy that in book form as well um, but it's her story of kind of the the worst year in her life without spoiling anything if you're reading it and still finishing it um, it's about the loss of her husband and daughter uh, in the same year and um, and so she talks through that process of grief and grieving and what it's like to find hope in the midst of grief and despair um so it's wonderful. Uh, Desiree actually is the one who brought this to my attention for Book Club um, a while ago. And so I'm glad that we're uh, connecting with it now. So I hope you'll join us here on the Zoom link um, 6.30 on Wednesday. Thanks,
2: Bob. Um, now is the time that we share our joys, our concerns, prayer requests, words of thanksgiving. Um, you can unmute and raise your voice, or you can always put what you'd like to uh, share in the chat window, and we can address it from there. Anybody have anything they'd like to share this morning? This first Sunday of.
3: Um, I can go. Yeah, so I have kind of two things. So, like, um, like a positive thing is my cousin Michelle and her whole family had um, they got coronavirus over like Christmas, mm-hmm. but they've they've all recovered, at um, least so far. Um, you know, we don't know long-term, but they've like, she's back at work and all of that. And so, um, that's really good. But then I did find out, um, that my step grandma, so my stepdad's mom, um, she did die from COVID on December 26th. Um, she and I were not close, but, um, I know that her family just lost their, um, their, my, my stepdad, Jeff, they lost their brother and all of that. And so it's, it's a lot.
2: Well, um, from COVID as well, Desiree?
3: Yeah, she died from COVID.
2: Yeah, wow, all right, Um, yeah, and the first thing you mentioned, that word of Thanksgiving, can you repeat that again?
3: Yeah, my cousin Michelle and her family had coronavirus, but they've recovered.
2: Yeah, 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 got it, well, let's, let's, let's pray for family. all those in your family who are grieving this, loving God, we pray for Desiree's family who are going through this time of loss, um, and just questioning and, and looking for comfort. We pray for their comfort, their peace. And we give thanks for those in her family that have recovered from COVID. And, and we pray for all those actually in our lives. Our, our relatives, acquaintances that we know that are suffering
4: from COVID. We pray for their well-being. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, anybody else this morning? With that, I'm gonna hand it over to Max for our meditation.
1: Thanks, and uh, thank you to all of you who um, sent in uh, pictures. And for our meditation uh, today, we're going to um, take a look at a little quick slideshow um, of some of the pictures that were sent in about hope. Aaron, I don't know if, do you you want to say anything else about the intention around this? You just want me to play it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, last week, you know, being the um, kind of the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, we talked about hope for the new year, right? And um, so uh, Emily, actually, my wife brought up a good suggestion. Um, It's like, why don't we do a little montage and have everyone who wants to participate send in a picture to Max uh, and, and a picture that they find hopeful. So it could be a picture from their phone during 2020, you know, a family or an event or something like that. Or it can be a meme they found, uh, they saw on social media or something that they found hopeful. So Max can maybe assemble it all in a montage and we can use it for a hopeful meditation the following week, the first Sunday of 2021. So that was the idea. And thank you for all those who participated in this and uh, take it away, Max.
1: All right, thank you. Share sound okay (laughs) for sending all those in so nice to see the mix too of like memes and screenshots and babies and landscapes um i know that brings me hope um so thank you all
2: yeah thank you that was beautiful max um so today is what's known as epiphany sunday on the traditional church calendar as max has already or bob included i guess has already pointed out. The actual date of Epiphany is, of course, Wednesday, January 6th, but the Sunday before is called Epiphany Sunday. It's called Epiphany because it celebrates the realization or the manifestation of Jesus as the Christ. The word Epiphany in general means like a profound realization or a moment of great insight, right? Maybe you've had an Epiphany before. That's how it's used in the Christian context, too. Epiphany refers to the the profound realization of people in the Gospels that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And depending on your denomination, whether you're in the Western Church or the Eastern Church, different events mark the, the, the day of Epiphany. In the Western Church, which is where we are, right, Epiphany is mostly about the Magi, a.k.a. the three wise men coming from Persia to Bethlehem to pay homage to the baby Jesus and his family. In this way, it's their Epiphany, their realization that we commemorate. Which is interesting because these were not Jews, but Gentiles. And actually they were priests in an ancient religion called Zoroastrianism, which took astrology pretty seriously, thus the reason why they were following a star. And I think this was included in the Gospels, this, this story in Matthew's Gospel, as a way of revealing who Jesus was. He was not just for the Jews but a light to the Gentiles as well, the text says. His message was good news to the foreigner, good news to the stranger, the outcast, and those who were considered other than because of their religion, their racial or social identity. That's the underlying meaning of epiphany. That's the underlying epiphany of epiphany, you could say, at least in the Western church. In the Eastern church, epiphany is more about Jesus's baptism, when God's spirit floated down from heaven like a dove and, and rested on Jesus, and a voice came from the sky that said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is where some people believe Jesus really became the Christ and was revealed as such. Before that, he was basically just a regular guy, some say, and his baptism is where he, be, is where he truly becomes God's son and is endowed with divinity. This belief is called adoptionism. Jesus was adopted by God in, at this moment, some say. And yet for others, um, the moment of Epiphany in both the Eastern and Western church really commemorates Jesus's first miracle at the wedding in Cana, where he turned water into wine, thus demonstrating that he had power from on high. So Epiphany takes cues from different stories in the gospels, but everyone basically agrees that Epiphany has to do with the realization that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, the Messiah. And I think this makes Epiphany a meaningful thing for us to look at too. For me, the underlying question of epiphany is this, who is Jesus to you? How has Christ been revealed to you? Have you had an epiphany, a revelation, or a realization about Jesus that has changed your perception of him? In a way, I think for many of us, deconstruction has functioned as an epiphany in this regard. I don't know about you, but my understanding of Jesus changed pretty dramatically when i no longer saw him through my evangelical or fundamentalist lens i had an epiphany of the christ in my deconstruction and in a way jesus has gotten so much bigger for me now that i've that i've been released since i've been released from the constraints of emotive beliefs and been released From having to read the Gospels in that very narrow, hyper literal, conservative way. My epiphany has been about discovering Jesus on a deeper level. I feel like I have found a faith in Jesus that is a faith beyond belief, which has a double meaning this idea of faith beyond belief, not just faith after belief, but a faith that transcends mere emotive belief. By this, I mean Jesus has become for me a kind of Holy Spirit, a a holy presence, if you will, a presence that is found in the fabric of everyday life. I really like this idea of the universal Christ from Richard Rohr. Some of you maybe have read his book or heard him on a podcast, uh, and his book is called The Universal Christ, his recent book, Um, and he is borrowing this idea of the universal Christ from numerous medieval church mystics, It's been around for centuries. The universal Christ is this understanding that Christ was not Jesus's last name, right? But is a title that means anointed one or the embodiment of the divine logos, the incarnation of divine wisdom and divine truth. This means that there is something universal and archetypal about Jesus that is recurrent in history or or a recurrent expression of divine truth and divine love found in many places. Richard Rory is saying that Christ is found everywhere as the loving, life-giving and liberating presence of God. And I think there's ample precedence for this understanding found throughout the gospels. In John one, we find this idea that the word was made flesh which I've talked about before and I won't focus on today but I will say that it's interesting that it doesn't say the word was made Jesus even though John is ultimately talking about Jesus but it says the word was made flesh which my friend damon garcia thinks was a way of saying that the incarnation was about something much greater than just jesus but this idea that the spirit of god has been poured out on all flesh which is actually something the prophet amos said which is really this idea that god has been poured out into all of creation and not just into one person 2000 years ago In this way, Jesus functions in the Gospels as more of an archetypal figure for all of us and creation itself. In Matthew 16, Jesus is with his disciples and he asks them this great question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Which is an interesting question for a few reasons, not not the least of which has to do with this strange title he gives himself, the Son of Man. Many scholars believe that this title title is an archetypal title that means the human one and is representative of the entire human race. So there's this notion that Jesus thinks of himself in this archetypal, symbolic way as, as representing all of humanity. Now keep that in mind as we read the disciples' response to him. Some respond and say that he's John the Baptist. Others say that he's Elijah, while others say that he's Jeremiah or one of the other great prophets of their tradition notice they are all thinking in archetypes even peter when he says that jesus is the messiah and the son of god these titles of messiah and son of god were already well established you know archetypal tropes within the first century world israel was full of itinerant preachers declaring themselves to be messianic figures the title son of god has also had also been around for centuries and was used by caesar and alexander the great before him So these tropes and titles, Messiah, Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, these names like Elijah and Jeremiah, these were all ways of thinking archetypally about Jesus and his role and what he represents, represented symbolically. And I'd argue that's exactly how we should think of Jesus. He is an archetype for the word of God made flesh. He is an archetype for a kind of spiritual epiphany we can have when we realize that the kingdom of God is not somewhere in a far off dimension or on another plane of existence, but right here, right now, within us and within our acts of love and commitment to things like justice and equality and liberation. To say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that all flesh, all of material reality is infused with a kind of divine dimension and that things like love and justice are the revelation of God in our midst. So, so that to me is, is the meaning of epiphany in, in short. This is who Jesus is to me. That's been my epiphany in short. I, I could go on, but I'd like to hear from you, from you now. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that the Son of Man is? How has your understanding of Christ changed over time? What's, what's been an epiphany moment for you on your spiritual journey? As a as a Christian, or in just as anybody,
4: <laughs> uh, does anybody want to uh, want to share? Lucy wants into the room here. I'm going to let her in. <laughs> You want to
2: color a card for me? Okay, let me get you some paper. So anybody want to share anything about uh, their epiphany during deconstruction, the way that understanding Christ has changed? Hold on. My favorite color is purple. Uh, Doing doing church over Zoom
4: at home is interesting, isn't it? If I may, just to break the ice. Yeah, yeah, please.
5: I don't know who Jesus is anymore to me. I, I coming out of i'm still i I guess i would call myself an agnostic christian at this point and but the teachings of jesus is that's the word to me that's the beauty of especially at a time that was so cruel i'm people were cruel at that time more than more so than we are now i mean i still think we're cruel but the teachings of love, love your neighbor uh, so stand true to me to this day. Uh, even at a time that I went into an atheist phase, I guess. Is that, so the teachings, the words that Jesus said were and are amazing from that day in, in, into this day. Uh, 2,000 years later. So that's what's so amazing to me. That's what's held me on to Christianity, even in my going through my atheism and agnosticism, which is as I said, I'm an agnostic right now. I don't know. So, but it's beautiful. His his teachings are beautiful. And that's what I say I could hold on to, or I have held on to all this time.
2: That's, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that and just
4: being so vulnerable about that, Scott. Anybody resonate with Scott feel the same way or maybe a little differently? I, I see Desiree has mentioned uh, that for her, Christ
2: has become more inclusive of all that that's a big breakthrough for a lot of us who grew up in that kind of narrow way of thinking about, you know, God and Jesus and Christianity.
4: Yeah.
6: Um, hey Aaron, I, uh, I can, if it's okay, I can jump in and have a thought here real quick. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, please, please do Scott. Yeah.
6: Um, Father, so, Father Scott. <laughs> yeah. So one, th- I mean, I think um, one thing for me is Jesus is a template is the, how I think about it, how I think like Richard Rohr, you mentioned, and John Caputo, I've been reading a lot kind of presents him. But I think more importantly, right now in this very particular moment in time, I've been thinking a lot about what Jesus isn't. Um, And looking at, like, reading, you know, the news and seeing, like, evangelicals holding um, these, like, church gatherings in defiance of, of, like, mask wearing and stuff in COVID. And, you know, they they sort of embrace this idea that Jesus is this path to heaven. Jesus is this, um, you know, if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. And what that seems is, like, if I do this thing, then I'm going to get rewarded, and that seems to be the, the absolute antithesis to anything Jesus spoke in the gospels and anything that Paul or any of the epistle writers wrote later on was it was not about any kind of rewards. It's, it's not a reward system. Um, the moment you start thinking about rewards and what I'm going to get out of this, you've moved away from Christ. Like he, he's about emptying and self-service and ultimately sacrificing yourself. So, you know, if you're not, if you're going into like, Help COVID sufferers and put yourself on the line, that's one thing. But if you're just going in in some sort of American nationalistic defiance of mask wearing because I'm going to heaven afterwards, so it doesn't matter if I die, that's absolutely the antithesis of of the Christ and the the Christ mystery and Jesus's actual life. So that's just something I've been thinking about a lot lot lately.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Scott. And uh, I like how you began by saying, that really you've become more centered lately around who Christ is not. <laughs> you, you've kind of had to work, you know, work through sort of this negation of, of who you think Jesus is not anymore. You know, I think that's an important part of that yeah, deconstruction, reconstruction kind of thing, you know. Um, maybe that's that's more important. To, rather than defining who Jesus is, maybe it's more important for us often just simply to define who he's not in, to us anymore. Um, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Anybody else want to comment or respond? I was thinking about that Sean, how do you pronounce his last name Fuke? I don't want to mispronounce. I I almost pronounced it, you know what I mean? But how do you, anybody know how to pronounce his last name that guy's leading the uh, the worship stuff? not that it's really important, I guess, but I was thinking more about, because I used to be really into worship like that, and then maybe 15 years ago, I would have been one of those that would have driven 45 minutes to Valencia, or where else, wherever else he did it, uh, to go, you know, worship in a parking lot, because, you know, I really believe that, you know, Jesus and Christianity was, was specifically, you know, worship was the way that we get close to Jesus, that that's a way that we connect with God, and it was this kind of, way of getting high right through worship music and getting again it was about getting close to God worship was the way that we got close to God and experienced God and enhanced our relationship with God and um, that's how I understood worship and that of course was involved with my understanding of Jesus that you had to adore him and worship him and praise him that that's what he craved and that's how you got close to him right and obviously all that's changed for me now but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I look at, I look at Sean Fuchs and, and those who participate in that and I say, and it's hard for me sometimes to resonate with that anymore. And then I think back, oh, that's why I was into that. <laughs> um, but now for me, this idea of being close to God or being close to Jesus is more about just a way of kind of living and loving. And again, it's not about worship music or about praying or about a particular religious method. It's more just about, Centering myself around a set of virtues and values and and communal practices like you know love and compassion and gathering like this to to talk about you know life and that for me is Jesus now and uh, anyway anybody else want to comment on that how their understanding of Jesus has changed
1: I'll say something yeah yeah just real quick on that note because I try to I want <laughs> I try to be really sensitive around this conversation because it's a very complicated one and it's central to so many people. Um, but um I think we've talked about it at different times in this setting and other and other places, but um I I really firmly believe that the biggest shift for me is away from the idea of a personalized, a personal, intimate savior, which many of us, you know, are very familiar with that language, were raised with that language, have been taught that language, um, though you know, as as you study more and live more and learn more, I kind of realize that that's very unbiblical. Um, and the understanding of salvation is corporate, right? It's not personal. Personal salvation didn't exist when the when the scriptures were written, which are even after the time when Jesus was around. So it's like, once you start to unpack what it means to be for Jesus to be your personal savior. And I think of like, you know, the paintings of holding the potter's hands and the, the, the doctor's hands while they do surgery. And like that, like Jesus is the superhero that comes and just makes my life super fun and ha- makes me happy magically and gives me lots of success and pay- and fame and power and money. And like that whole mentality of Jesus coming to save me and my desires, and my dreams, and my needs, when on the aggregate, which is what we see in America a lot, turns just to rampant individualism and um, something that looks a lot different than the actual gospels, um, and something that looks a lot different than the kingdom of God, I would say, right? So even without doing exegesis in scripture we can look around and be like that doesn't like we look at these mega churches right and the the sean fuchs of the world right and be like that doesn't seem at all like what jesus would be doing like um i know a lot of you know kevin nye kevin and naomi um it was naomi wilson they went to fuller and then um kevin's done the pop-up Rose, um, Rosebud Coffee in our, Rose City Coffee in our church a couple of times. Anyway, he works for Homeless Services um, in LA and does just amazing work with them. But he helped, you know, organize along with a, a couple other big organizations, a Christian response to Sean Fuched in which they actually set up car blockades because Sean wanted to go to Skid Row and do that whole concert on Skid Row. And so thank God, for the, for the workers who actually work on Skid Row and the churches that actually serve Skid Row, who made a blockade and said, this is not Christ, right? It's like- It was effective, they, they stopped them? I think that's why they went to Valencia. I still haven't seen details of what they ended up doing in Skid Row. Like, so I don't know if they changed it to like a prayer thing and then, but they were going to like worship on Skid Row. They ended up in Valencia, so I take that. Well,
2: they called it an outreach
1: right exactly yeah so who who knows but it got a lot of media attention um so i consider that good right it had national uh science mike retweeted him and tried to get people down there to go mara wilson from matilda anyway off topic um but just like the idea that it's that it's like we end up now with this like you can just look at it and be like if jesus literally lived here now there's not a single piece of me that believes that he would go and try to get people to come unmasked and sing songs and jump around like for him, like as opposed to like, no, protect one another. Here's food, here's drink, like here's how you're safe. Here's shelter, here's a home, like here's medical care. Like it's just, it's, it's so incredibly obvious once you kind of go like get through the looking glass as it were. Um, So that's been the big shift for me. I know personally is getting away from this. Jesus is not my personal Lord and savior. He is our universal corporate um, savior who has come to save all right. And to offer life to all. And that is just, it's the language sounds the same in many ways, but it's a completely different way of engaging the world.
2: Yeah. Really helpful. Thank you. For bringing that up max anybody want to respond comment yeah uh
7: if i can uh, build off of that just the thing that's been going on in my head for the last year is just this idea that i, I thinking about the way that i used to be a uh, christian when i was in you know eighth group in bible college days and just feeling like i don't have the emotional energy to try to keep up both sides of an imaginary relationship And, and that some people just weren't born with that kind of imagination, like that it takes to have that sort of like, oh, I'm speaking to God and God's speaking back to me and, and just feeling just the release of this is not what it was supposed to be. This was never what was expected of me. And it makes this idea that God, that my relationship with God is this relationship that I have to tend to the way that I would tend to my relationship with my wife or my relationship with a friend. And that my feelings about this relationship are what motivate me to do this, that, or the other. If I feel insecure in this relationship, I have to do this No. If I feel really good in this relationship, well that means that I can do this. And the incarnation to me now, the way that I think of it is one just God being united with creation in a way that's less, you know, that's less just like Jesus is just this one body. I think Stephen Clark mentioned that you know it takes a universe to sustain the existence of any body because everything is so physically interconnected. So for Jesus to incarnate in anything, it requires you know the incarnation into the entire universe. And so I think of like that and then I think of just the way that Jesus incarnated in Matthew in being in the faces of the poor and of the hungry and of the imprisoned and that it's not my relationship with an imaginary being, it's not my relationship with a character that I read about in a book, but it's my relationship with the universe as a whole and my relationship with people in need and that's what my relationship with God is and that's the
2: relationship I tend to. Yeah, really, really, really helpful, and I, I think it's important. You know, I, I'm with you guys in the sense that I've distanced myself from saying, I, I don't say anymore that I have a personal relationship with God, um, because I found I find that language not to be helpful anymore. But I can affirm those who do say that as long as I think they they mean it in a way that doesn't detract from our relationship with each other, or d- doesn't take the onus off of our relationship with each other and become just sort of this pious kind of mystical sort of de- um, detached kind of way of living right I think I think and Tom um, it sounds like you're affirming this idea that yeah we, we can talk about having a relationship with God as long as we talk about it in in, in the context of having right relationship with each other um and I think that's worth affirming because um I I do feel like you in the sense that um I've had to let go of this idea that, you know, because I was raised like you were to just think about my relationship with God and I have to maintain it through prayer and worship and devotional time every day. And, and it's me and my, it's all about how I feel about God in my heart and how he feels about me and his heart. And that's my relationship. And as long as that's cool, then I'm going to be blessed and I'm going to be taken care of, you know, supernaturally. That is so just anxiety ridden and oppressive and problematic in so many ways. And I just think we need to be set free from that way it's completely not scriptural either, if that matters anymore, but it should, I guess, uh, you know, we, we need, we need to detach ourselves from that for so many reasons, um, but uh, we can still think about being in communion with God, and, and I, I, I just think there's, there's better ways to do it, and I think, Tom, you touched on that, and I'm okay with some mysticism, I'm, I'm somewhat of a pantheist myself, so, you know, I'm okay with that, but I think we need to be very, very focused on this idea as Tom said, you know, that our relationship with God is how we live in right relationship with each other, through the practices of love and justice and compassion, especially for
4: the least of these, the so-called least of these. Anyway, good stuff. Thank you, Tom. Other, other thoughts today? I think the, the main shift for me was doing things to please Jesus and being in that relationship to shifting to becoming what he would have been here um like you say or being the hands and feet like that's that's kind of the shift that I've taken um instead of just always a pleasing relationship to try to get something Thanks, man. Yeah. Got a few more minutes. Anybody else want to chime in? Good conversation. Good stuff, everybody. Thanks for being here
2: today. Happy twenty twenty one, and uh, we'll kind of formally dismiss here at eleven. Um, but go in peace, and uh, yeah, hope you have a hope you have a good week. Um, Epiphany is actually Wednesday, January sixth. What else? Something else is is happening on January sixth. But oh, I remember now. Uh, <laughs> I think I think there's something going on in in Congress. That's what I was thinking. Of which some, some think that is going to be an epiphany. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be, but that's another matter. Um, anyway, oh, book club, thank you, Bob. Yes, book club, that's happening on, on, on Epiphany Wednesday. Yes, yes, thank you, hee hee hee. Anyway, uh, thanks for being everybody. We are, we are dismissed. You can always hang out uh, with us for a few more minutes if you'd like to chat, but we are dismissed. Go in peace. To
0: see y'all,
5: thank you, Aaron. Hey, thank you, Scott. So it's nice to kind of connect with people again and kind of, well, I guess if we're (laughs) connected to to hear from you guys again, I guess. Oh, it's it's been a few years,
2: (laughs) yeah, and that's okay. You're welcome back anytime, you know that. I don't have to tell you that
4: um thanks scott yeah any predictions on what's going to happen on wednesday with the i'm just curious your guys thoughts about what
2: you
1: think is going to happen on wednesday uh, in dc
4: it's going to be a mess
1: it's, Yeah, yes, but nothing's going to happen they're all cowards they're yeah, doing, they're yeah, doing it ahead. they're doing a for their constituency and their 2024 presidential run yeah yeah i watched um one of my friends actually sent me i don't know if any of you follow the lincoln project but um, one of their leaders did a video yesterday and, and just on Instagram was like, hi Donald, this is me. Like I just want, and he's, he was like a Republican insider for 30 years. He's like, I just want to remind you that all those people that you think are your friends right now, none of them are, none of them like you. All the people in Congress, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, they're running for president in 2024. And that's the only reason they feel like your friends this week. I just want you to be prepared that next week you're not going to have any friends. They all know it's over. And they're just doing this as a show and i was like so yes. sad it's so sad yes it is. it is and i'm more scared of all the people who believe it yeah with guns yeah, yeah i know That's I no that gets me like i'm way less concerned about what's going to happen in congress and like the litigious nature of like the back and forth than i am of the millions who are armed and fully convinced that this election has been stolen from the rightful king, Donald Trump. That's, that's what keeps me up at night. Yeah.
2: And this is actually a great moment to understand Tad DeLay's book, The Cynic and the Fool, because those, because the, the Congress are, they're basically, as you put it, Max, they're cynics. They're like pretending to actually care so that I hate to put it, but these are, these are psychoanalytic terms, cynics and fools. So I don't mean to like call vast swaths of the country fools, but in good company, we can kind of go with that here. So, but the point is like these, a lot of people don't understand that there's so-called fools really
4: think that these leaders are actually not cynics at all that they're, that they're true believers.